0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. FSN Radio. It's all about what's next. Go to FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com and sign up for your free weekly newsletter. You'll also get three free reports. The Financial Survival Network. It's all about what's next.
1: Welcome. You are listening to the Financial Survival Network. It's Kerry Lutz, and well, is cheap tech going to kill the high margin, high profit brands out there. You know what I'm talking about? Apple, the most valuable company in the world. And do we have other falling angels happening? And what about the Chinese debt snowball that's been gaining momentum and is about to go out of control? Well, it's all part of the money bubble. And that means it's time for John Rubino. The date is November 30th, 2015. We just finished up Thanksgiving. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving Thanksgiving, John.
2: Had a good one, Carrie. Good hey, to see you again.
1: You too, man. And uh, yeah, this was my first uh, Thanksgiving with my future son in law. His family was there, and uh, while my kids were there, it was really a, a great time and really enjoyed it immensely. Gave me a couple of days off to uh, recharge the batteries, which uh, I don't know how recharged they got. I'm kind of tired from cleaning. You know, one thing you do in Thanksgiving, John, is you're always cleaning. You're throwing stuff away. How many trips do you take to the garbage cans? Uh, During a Thanksgiving, I found myself mopping floors. I had to go out and actually buy a vacuum. I don't even have a vacuum for my house, but because the person who cleans my house brings her own vacuum. But I said, wait a second, she's not going to be here for a week. I'm going to have all these people. I'm going to have crumbs and garbage all over the place. So I bought a you talk about cheap tech, John. I bought a sweeper. It's a dust buster combined with like this frame. It's basically a sweeper vac that's wireless, you know, that uh, has no cords, cordless rather. And you just push it around the place and it even picks up sand. It's so good. And cheap tech. I mean, I think you're onto something there as you said in your article.
2: Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's start with market internals and work our way to, to cheap tech because it's all part of one interesting and ominous story for the U.S. stock market. Uh, basically, when, when you talk about market internals, that, that's the stuff that goes on under the surface that doesn't get reported. It's not like the what the S&P 500 did today or the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It's it's how different assets traded against each other. And um, it, it matters in the long run what's happening under the surface, because when more and more asset classes start behaving out of the ordinary. In other words, different from what the big stock indexes are doing that tells you something. And a lot of the time, they're the, um, the leading indicators of what's going to happen in the future. And right now, we're, we're seeing a lot of um, smaller indexes, smaller asset classes break down while the overall stock market is still going up. For instance, junk bonds. Um, th- these are loans to risky companies that usually carry higher interest rates because these companies have to pay up in order to borrow. And in good times, they trade right along with the stock market. But when the economy hits a rough patch or starts to slow down, junk bonds are where it registers first a lot of the time because a slowing economy means higher default rates among the weakest companies. And junk bonds have been tanking lately versus stocks. And uh, that's frequently an indicator that Stocks are about to roll over as well. You know, junk bonds are a leading indicator of trouble in the market, and they are screaming trouble right now. Um, uh, Another indicator that has pretty good predictive power is the difference between large cap stocks and small cap stocks. Um, Large cap stocks are perceived as being relatively safe and small cap stocks Smaller companies, they tend to go out of business more often, um, are more subject to the um, the economic winds that are blowing out there. Uh, they tend to be riskier. And so they're sort of like junk bonds. They're a leading indicator of the, the future health of the economy. And they, small cap stocks, are underperforming large cap stocks right now. That's also a signal of trouble in the future. And I think the, the most interesting and, and maybe most broad-based part of this story is the um, the breadth of the support of the market right now. In other words, how many companies are going up versus the ones that are going down and which companies are they? And it turns out right now that the, uh, the profit growth of American corporations and the price increases of the big stock indexes are dependent on just a few companies. Now, we've reached the point where uh, the entire stock market depends on Apple, Google, and a handful of other companies. Yeah. And it's being questioned by some analysts whether these guys can keep growing at the same rate they have in the past. And growth is what... Tends to justify your stock price in the long run. So, for instance, Apple has iPhones, which are doing really well, and not a whole lot else at the moment in terms of products that it's selling. It's it's transitioning over to corporate services, you know, software services as well, and that's that's doing well, but that's not the biggest part of their business right now. They've got iPhones, which um, generate most of their profit. Meanwhile, Apple TV isn't making them any money. the The Apple Watch is not um, doing so well, and Macs their desktop computers are a mature business that isn't growing dramatically. And so it's up to iPhones to carry them going forward. And that's not a done deal. You know, um, cheap smartphones are getting better and better. You can buy something that's Windows based, for instance, right now for 60, 70 bucks that does a lot of what uh, an iPhone did two years ago. And more and more people are starting to do that, apparently. I know my, my son, who's the family techie and kind of the leading indicator for things like that, just went out and bought a Windows-based phone. And he's happy with it. You know, his, um, I asked him what he thought about the other day. And he said, yeah, it's okay. The screen looks good. It texts fine. You know, and he, he doesn't feel like he needs any more than that. And he saves a lot of money each month because he doesn't have an expensive iPhone anymore. So let that attitude spread. <laughs> and, uh, and even the iPhone itself uh, at least at the the high end, will be threatened. And so it's going to be harder for Apple going forward to generate growth in profitability the way it has in the last few years. And let that sink in, and that might be the last leg that gets kicked out of the, the U.S. stock market. It just won't look as interesting based on the... Uh, um, the action in other asset classes like junk bonds and the um, the, the headwinds that some of the biggest companies are, are experiencing in terms of earnings. And you add it all up and you get a picture that's fairly similar to the end of previous cycles. You know, this looks a, a little like 1999, when uh, when it was becoming clear that the market was supported by just a handful of tech stocks, and when they rolled over, everything was going to tank. And and uh, 2007, when the um, the housing market was um, starting to experience trouble growing because it had grown so much in the previous few years, and that was starting to roll over. So we're, we're seeing something similar here. And if it plays out the way it has historically, uh, that's going to reflect. On the overall market in the very near future, in a um, massive correction or or a bear market, where in which the S and P 500 and the other big indexes um, go down to match the action in the uh, smaller, more obscure indexes of the past year.
1: Yeah, you really think that uh, that the Fed will give up and all the world central banks they're just going to let it uh, sink, huh? Or well, see that
2: that's the thing now. Um, there aren't really events in the world that matter except in terms of their impact on monetary policy anymore you know if there's a war in the middle east or whatever um people look at it and think well what does that mean the fed will do next (laughs) you know the the central banks so completely dominate the global financial system that um, the the world is now interpreted solely in terms of monetary policy when for investors and so yeah if we have a bear market in the u.s that then the question becomes how's the fed going to respond to that and right now, they still seem intent on raising interest rates no matter what. But yeah, we would see um, a, a quick turnaround in the attitude of the Fed if the U.S. stock market tanks. Um, they'll, they'll go from, oh, we're raising interest rates and we're, uh, we're, we're imposing more regulations on the big banks to the exact opposite. You know, let the big banks go, do what they want to do, and we'll cut interest rates and we'll liquefy the system. And in, in the past, that's always worked. But that also won't work forever because you you get a diminishing marginal utility of debt at a certain point, or marginal productivity of debt, excuse me, in which when the Fed convinces us to borrow more money, we get less and less bang for our buck in terms of GDP growth and and financial asset increases. And that's coming too. You know, it might not be this time or it might be the time after that or the time after that, but um, at some point... Monetary policy ceases to be an effective tool to, um, to lean against a slowing economy. And I, I think there's a good chance that it's this time because already we're seeing increases in debt generate dramatically less new wealth in most societies and it's that that process is rapidly heading for zero now in which no matter how much more money we borrow we don't get any more growth and when we hit that point then it's it's kind of game over we we have to go straight to direct monetization of everything in other words don't worry about the government issuing debt anymore because uh, it doesn't do anybody any good we're just going to create new currency dump it out into the system and try to generate growth that way and that's usually the last gasp of a dysfunctional monetary system and when you when you go to straight Financing via newly created currency—that's Weimar Germany territory there, or Venezuela or Argentina. You know, and when the whole world hits that point, which we are rapidly approaching, um, then everything spins out of control. And I, I think you know, there's no way to know exactly when it's going to happen, but um, the numbers are starting to indicate that it will happen soon. If we go to what looks like the next stage of global monetary policy, which is negative interest rates everywhere, and much, much more rapid increases in the money supply, and maybe bigger deficit spending for most governments to combat you know what they perceive as a, a slowdown that's threatening to them politically. So I, you know, 2016 is going to be an amazing year. Even leaving aside all the crazy geopolitics out there, all the wars that are happening everywhere, and the uh, refugee crises that that are spreading around the world, uh, just in terms of monetary policy, we're going to see historically crazy things happen. And uh, and Carrie, we get to watch it from a safe distance, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully.
1: Well, you know, it's already blowing up in uh, in Latin America. You see it with Brazil. They're practically bankrupt uh, and and go on and on, John. I mean, there there were a couple of months ago, Zero Hedge had an article. There were 24 countries that were basically bankrupt. I think uh, now that number has certainly gone up. Uh, what it is, well, I don't know, but it could be uh, 40, 50. You look, Argentina just threw out the ruling party and they're not happy so they're going for uh they're going for free markets now or at least their version of them uh what's going to happen next
2: yeah who knows well latin america is is pretty much a mess across the board um europe is in crisis right now it's having a political rebellion spread yeah. throughout the continent where um nobody's really happy with the implementation of the common currency the euro And so you're seeing um, left-wing parties spring up who don't want to impose any more austerity on their populations and they're winning elections, for instance, in Portugal. And you're seeing right-wing parties spring up who don't want any more immigration. They want to go back to their original culture and preserve it. And they want to go back to their old currency, which gives them national control over monetary policy and the government's budget. Like in France, you know, the National Front, which uh, not so long ago was considered a far right wing fringe party, is now leading in some regional elections. And uh, if, if they had a national election today, the, the National Front's Marine Le Pen would not be elected president, but would be in the running. You know, She would be one of the top two people in a runoff election. If they had the national election today, and she's trending upward. So give the current crisis another year to ferment in France. By the way, France's unemployment just hit a record. Yeah seven years into a, a recovery, which is also fueling the uh, the sense of crisis there. But but let this run for another year, and you're liable to see anti-Euro parties of the right and the left in charge of several major European countries. And so Europe, Europe has a, a crisis on its hands. China, what about is, China is in your article there. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, yeah, China is having a, um, a really classic Debt crisis. Now that that seems really familiar to me because I I was a junk bond analyst in the late 1980s. I'm old now, Kerry. And uh, at first, you know, junk bonds were this huge market that everybody thought was going to go on forever, and it was just the future of finance. And then some of the marginal junk bond issuers started to go bankrupt, and people got a little nervous. But they still had this sense that junk was was a, a major market forever. And then more of them went bankrupt, and then more, and then the the attitude shifted. Finally to where there was a critical mass of people who believed the junk was dead, that it was going to just collapse and and go away. And then the market just fell apart. Well, well, China's in the early stages of something like that with its um – massive, massive amount of debt that it took on in the last five or six years. You know, a lot of loans were made to cement companies and steel companies and copper companies yeah. and home builders and and you name it, construction companies of various kinds. Um, and now that the credit boom is ending in China, and they're not building nearly as much as they used to, and commodity prices are plunging, a lot of these companies aren't viable anymore. And they're starting to Default, and you're you're seeing it here and there right now. But it looks like a bigger wave of defaults is coming. And so the attitude within China is probably going to go through the same process that uh, we did in the U.S. in the late 1980s with junk bonds, where right now everybody thinks, uh, or most people think, things are still okay. We've got a few problems here and there, but basically the government will bail us out, or more growth will resume soon, or you know we're an untouchable country who's now the second biggest economy in the world. Blah blah blah. You know you know the story of of um, a credit bubble where people develop these delusions that are based on cheap money that turn out not to be true. Well, China's in the process of realizing that a lot of their assumptions aren't true anymore. And if they see kind of a cascade failure of the the highly leveraged sector of their economy, then they'll have a credit crisis, just like we had in the, uh, the late 1980s, early 1990s. And it won't be systemically threatening to them or anything. They'll still be OK because they've got tons of foreign Exchange reserves, And, and they've bought them. a lot of gold, which uh, which is going to hold up versus their currency if they have to devalue and all that. You know, they'll, they'll be OK in the long run, but they could have a two or three year crisis that is uh, unique in their recent history. And they won't have seen anything like that before. And it'll happen at the same time that the zone is spinning out of control. And Japan, we haven't talked about yet, yeah. is uh, descending into a, a demographic crisis for which it has no answer. you know. There's yeah, exactly. Once your uh, economy gets that old, once your populace is, is mostly retirees, and you've borrowed huge amounts of money before that point that you couldn't have paid off even in, in uh, good times with a healthy economy, then, then you've got a crisis on your hands. So th- there's a very good chance that all of this stuff happens at the same time in 2016 or 2017. And there's no way the US is immune to it. If the, the whole rest of the world is in chaos, on the one hand, we kind of benefit because a lot of Terrified capital will flow in, you know, maybe bid up the dollar, maybe support our real estate for a while. But on the other hand, who are we trading with? If the whole world is in chaos, you know, who's going to buy our stuff? And uh, and the answer is fewer people than before. And so we see a lot of our our big multinationals. being at extreme risk in that kind of a scenario you know the companies in other words that are supporting the economy right now here in the u.s will find it harder and harder to sell things abroad if the dollar gets stronger because the rest of the world is sending its capital here and so it's not clear what supports our economy in in those circumstances what, what supports our stock market so the the To summarize, the U.S. isn't immune from what goes on in the rest of the world. And if the rest of the world is in chaos, we're in chaos. And that is probably a good summary of what's going to happen in the next couple of years.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, But I think the, uh, the crisis in China is going to be a lot worse than you think. They're blowing through their reserves at a prodigious pace and you see the shipping indices plunging all over the world which means the market for their goods is plunging as well and look uh, any for any country to take a 10 percent hit on their economy is bad but for china it's downright disastrous and yeah they have the gold and they can readjust their balance sheet Uh, the value of their currency is against gold rate but it ain't that easy Things don't work that easily in the real world here, and, and that's what we really need to watch out for. These black swans come about with uh, no notice, John. We've seen them before, and they're circling now. Will we make it out the next few months? I don't know. I'm beginning to think not.
2: Yeah, uh, there's a lot that could go wrong in the short run, and and you're right, Kerry. China could be worse than the, than just a uh, a run of the mill financial crisis that lasts a year or two and is, is solved one way or another. Because they did borrow um, a truly amazing amount of money in the last five or six years. They they quadrupled the size of their banking system basically. Yeah, and an awful lot of that money uh, was just malinvestment. It was just lent to companies who did things that uh, that they shouldn't have done and that uh, that can't generate any kind of cash flow going forward. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and then we've got the OPEC countries. You know, Russia, which isn't a part of OPEC, but it's a big oil exporter, and Saudi Arabia have major budgetary problems with oil at $40 a barrel and will have existential crises with oil at 20 bucks a barrel. So we should also be watching the uh, the supply-demand numbers coming out of the oil market. And right now, supply is exceeding demand, and it's not clear there's any place else left to put the oil that's being pumped and that will be pumped in the next few months. So historically, when you get um, when, when you run out of storage space and supply continues to flow, you get a, a really dramatic crack in the price of oil. Mm-hmm. And so now you've got analysts talking about $30 oil and $20 a barrel. And, and these numbers would be fine for us driving our gas guzzler cars around the U.S., but uh, really problematic for countries that depend on oil of $60, 70 $80 a barrel in order to cover their budgets. Like Saudi Arabia, for instance, they're running through the reserves right now yeah. at a, an accelerating rate. And what happens when, uh, when they've sold all their treasury bonds and there's nothing yeah. left and they still can't cover their government budget? You know, Saudi Arabia is a, a really precarious political system to begin with because it's uh, something out of the 12th century. It's a religious monarchy. And um, it survives because it has huge amounts of money to pay off the people who would otherwise not think twice about overthrowing the kingdom, and let them run out of money to pay those guys off, and and uh, and you get yet another source of chaos in the Middle East. So, Kerry, we could do this all day long. You know, any place yeah. you look, yeah, there is some kind of a crisis brewing, and no real easy solution in the short run. So, I, I think that uh, when you look at for instance, Martin Armstrong's analysis of this, where he's been saying for, um, what, a decade now? That, yeah. uh, w- that we would have a, a crisis in government mm. rather than the private sector. Yes. Beginning basically now and, and going for the next several years. Um, it, it looks like it's playing out that way because it's really the legitimacy of a lot of governments that's being called into question here. We, because they've made so many mistakes financially in the past um, and they don't have any fixes for it. In the near-term future, people are concluding that uh, not only the guys in charge, but the whole form of government—you know, the structure that's been set up—is no longer um, worth keeping. And you know, we're, you're seeing that in Europe as we've talked about, where uh, the the integration process has ground to a halt, yeah. and now people are looking around for something that that works because what they've got doesn't work. And you don't fix something like that easily. Because you're not talking about just changing people, yeah, you know, systemic. electing somebody new with a nicer personality. That's that's not what's happening now. It's the structure These of the systemic. government.
1: Systemic problems yeah. won't do just changing the face of government and change, just tinkering with the system to make it a little better requires dramatic change that nobody wants to go through because it either results in governments losing power or, or pain for the citizenry and they get knocked out and nobody is uh, being honest with their with their constituents what really needs to be done anyway john we got to get going but find john's work over at dollarcollapse.com those two articles you definitely want to see future of apple's kind of hanging in the balance future of china as well maybe it's a tale of two uh, of two dictatorships i don't know apple and uh, communist china but we're going to find out the answer soon. And while you're there, uh, you know that we always have a link to John's site in the show notes to this interview on financialsurvivalnetwork.com. Take a look at the site. Got hundreds of articles every week dealing with exactly what John and I have been discussing, things you need to know to plan for the future. Also, when you're looking at the site, you'll see that we've got uh, an embedded player now and uh, another way to download in case the player doesn't work. Let me get your feedback how that embedded player is working. It's important that the site functions smoothly and well. And John, we will talk to you next week.
2: Great. Thanks, Gary.
0: FSN Radio. It's all about what's next. Go to financialsurvivalnetwork.com and sign up for your free weekly newsletter. You'll also get three free reports. The Financial Survival Network. It's all about what's next.